0: Please sit comfortably. My name is Nicholas John Arnold. That's Nicholas like St. Nick, John with no h like John Stewart, and Arnold as in Schwarzenegger. My dad told me Arnold means brave eagle. My confirmation name I chose for myself is Francis, after St. Francis of Assisi, the patron saint of ecology. He wrote the Canticle of Brother Sun that goes in part. Be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, Brother Sun, who brings the day, and you give light through him, and he is beautiful and radiant in all his splendour. Praise be you, my Lord, through Sister Moon, and the stars in heaven you formed them clear and precious and beautiful praise be you my lord through brother wind and through the air cloudy and serene and every kind of weather through which you give sustenance to your creatures praise be you my lord through sister water which is very useful and humble and precious and chaste praise be you my lord through brother fire through whom you light the night and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praise be you, my Lord, through Sister Mother Earth, who sustains us and governs us, and who produces varied fruits with coloured flowers and herbs. My parents are both Queenslanders, my dad born in Tara in the Darling Downs region, about 300 kilometres west of Brisbane, where my mother was born. My dad is now retired, but he worked as an exploration geologist for many years, bringing the family with him as he moved, for a time in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, where I was born, then Parks, New South Wales, where my first sister was born, then in Brisbane, where my younger sister was born, then in Canberra, where we lived for about seven years, and then over here to Perth. I live with my girlfriend and de facto Jess of 11 years. We have three ducks, two rabbits, some koi and goldfish, and five cats. How did we end up with five cats? Well, actually, it happened twice. I'll get to that in a minute. The title of my talk tonight is Purpose, Perfection, Permanence, Zen, Cats, and Me. Jess helped me with the title and the talk itself. When I was having trouble with topics, she suggested cats and myself and reminded me of some of my long-time fixations. So purpose, perfection, and permanence. And those in particular, because they start with per, and make per, per, per. per. (laughs) 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 Trying to find purpose, trying to reach some sort of perfection with no mistakes, trying to reach a point where I've figured it out, and got to some place of stability. I wonder how I went with that. In wanting to tell my story, I have been tracing back how I came to Zen. I think a kind of beginning was in watching television. I recall sitting on the floor in front of Saturday morning TV with my sisters and my mum, moving pictures, music and lyrics I could try to learn and sing along with. Every now and again a video would be truly strange and it would stand out and make itself unforgettable. One such was talking heads once in a lifetime. Featuring the tuxedoed and bespeckled David Byrne shot close in so we can just see his chest up. Behind him a shimmering wavy blue background simulating the surface of water. And he's miming diving in and coming out. Gyrating and convulsing weirdly. And sweating more and more until finally by the end of the video he really is wet. And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by, let the water hold me down. Letting the days go by, water flowing underground. Into the blue again after the money's gone. Once in a lifetime, water flowing underground. Water dissolving and water removing. There is water at the bottom of the ocean. Under the water, carry the water. Remove the water at the bottom of the ocean. And you may ask yourself, what is that beautiful house? And you may ask yourself, where does that highway go to? And you may ask yourself, am I right, am I wrong? And you may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? Same as it ever was, look where my hand was. Time isn't holding up. Time isn't after us. Same as it ever was. So what was that about? I'm not sure, but I know it kind of shook me up. It seemed to be saying, pay attention, don't miss it. But miss what? Miss my life? And it was about mistakes. About being wrong. Then there's Road to Nowhere. Well, we know where we're going But we don't know where we've been And we know what we're knowing But we can't say what we've seen And we're not little children And the future is certain Give us time to work it out We're on a road to nowhere Come on inside Taking that ride to nowhere We'll take that ride I'm feeling okay this morning And you know We're on the road to paradise Here we go, here we go And Monkey Magic, a Japanese production, doved over in English, retelling the old Chinese story Journey to the West, about a Tang Dynasty monk traveling to India to bring Buddhist scriptures back to China, and a monkey born from a stone egg, who gains a little taste of enlightenment and proclaims himself Great Sage Equal of Heaven. In the worlds before Monkey, primal chaos reigned. Heaven sought order. But the phoenix can fly only when its feathers are grown. The four worlds formed again and yet again as endless eons wheeled and passed. Time and the pure essences of heaven, the moistures of the earth, and the powers of the sun and the moon all worked upon a single rock, old as creation, and it became magically fertile. That first egg was named thought. Tathagata Buddha, the father Buddha, said, With our thoughts, we make the world. Elemental forces caused the egg to hatch. From it then came a stone monkey. The nature of monkey was irrepressible. Monkey! (laughs) Pain from bad posture in front of computers led me to my first yoga class. At the end of the class, we did savasana, the corpse pose, for ten minutes in a darkened room with quiet music. Lying on my back, stretched out and unwound in ways I have never experienced, the floorboards underneath me softened and gave way, admitting me into them. As I sunk into the floor, the ceiling above felt intimately close, close enough to touch, and I thought, ''No wonder people like yoga.'' I returned to class many times expecting and looking forward to that feeling of sinking into the floorboards it didn't happen again I read some Hermann Hess went to a beginner's meditation class heard about Zen and, and tried to and started trying to sit at home I wanted a good practice every day, without fail sit more, sit full lotus I was always getting disappointed with myself Why am I angry? Why can't I concentrate? Why aren't I getting any better? Giving up, feeling ashamed, feeling a failure, and then starting again. I heard about the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha on a podcast of a Canadian Zen group. Eventually I wondered, maybe I could do with a little help. The first time I came to the Zen Group of WA was roughly October of 2012, about four years ago. I've written journals on and off for years, and this is a fragment from that time. I've been to this Zen place twice now, twice I've been to an actual Zendo. This is something I once thought was completely impossible and infeasible, given my personality and my introverted self and traits and a desire to be alone, and shame and guilt and feelings of not being worthwhile. So I wonder. Yes, I do. I wonder. I wonder. Am I an ass at this thing? <laughs> and the very next thing I wrote down in my book were the first words of Ross Bolotaroshi I ever recorded. Sitting alone makes you strong. Sitting with others opens you up. So now I was in a sangha. I knew I had to try a session just to see, even though I was petrified, and then more than one just to see. <laughs> 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 and they weren't what I had expected. Coming home from my second seven day session, I wrote My dear, beloved, and noble Nick. Yes, you want to go to Sesshin. Yes, you really do. No, it won't be fun to say goodbye to Jess, so don't. Instead, smile a big smile and say, I love you, and say, Have a beautiful day. It will be sad to say goodbye to the bunnies and the ducks and the chickens and the cats, so don't. Instead, smile and scritch their ears and say, Hello there, Bugsy. Hello, lovely bunnies. Hello, ducks. Hello, chickens. Pack your bag days early. Take the train down to Fremantle. Get a lift with someone else. You will be tired and and scared and anxious. There will be familiar faces and new ones. There will be a few moments, sometime, halfway or so, that will be still and beautiful. Maybe there might be one day with several of these moments. You will have pieces of yourself drop away. You will see at least one person with you in a new light. You'll see yourself in a new light. You will be different. Something that you thought impossible will happen. A bird will come to see you. A green fly will walk on your forearm and tell you you are beautiful. An ant will explore your foot but not bite you. A tree will give you a gift. Your eyes will shine back at you from the mirror differently. Sleep will be deep and righteous. You will cry sadness and joy. Several pairs of dark, clean, dark clothes will turn into several pairs of dirty ones. You will not have brought enough tissues. It will be over too soon. If it is spring, there will be delicious cold mornings in bare feet. If it is summer, there will be constant sweat. You will be reminded of your nobility, of your dignity. You will find yourself revolting. You will be ashamed. You will not be able to stop thinking and daydreaming. You will feel you are wasting your time. You will feel your posture is no good. You will do others wrong and feel awful about it. Your selfishness will stink at you like an open sewer. It will seem too hard. It will feel impossible. You will be convinced this path is not for you. Suddenly there will be kindness when you need it. You will see a species of bird you have not seen before or an old familiar one evoking lost memories. Coming home will be hard and strange but then easier and more familiar and gentle. Gentler. In the days after there will be peaks and troughs of sadness reverberations normality, normalcy and powerful surges of peculiarity forgetfulness a tiredness that allows little sleep the next year it was not at all the same coming home the spell is broken the world is glazed over with corruption and dirt disappointment the sacred and beautiful world that was touched or worse into which we were immersed a part of, not separate from is now buried and gone, bereft and grieving, wondering if it was all an illusion, a lie, a fabrication. It's gone, finished. The beautiful thing that was is lost and now just left again, adrift, awash, washed up on the shoreline, dirty and cold and there is no love, no beauty, no sacredness. We are not all one. We are all alone. But writing has many times been a tool for me to work through confusion and depression, to gaze at it obsessively until another perspective finally comes to light. After all of that delusionment, disillusionment, I wrote, but we are still there sitting in that hall, the wooden floor under our feet and under our mats. The sunshine is still streaming in, slanting in through those windows, The birds are still crazy in their joy. The chainsaw still cries out. The flowers still open to spring sunshine and rain. The little lakes are still full of their collected waters. The pathway up the hillside is still marked with its sign where it joins up with the larger walking trail beside the fence line underneath the trees. The ground still is covered by that unexpected grass that confused your feet on the way back down. This year's session was different again. So is it safe to expect I will continue to not get what I expect? Okay, so how did we end up with five cats? Before I met Jess, I had Sooty, a sleek black cat, my first cat all of my own, and Belden, black and white, inherited from my housemate when he moved away. I raised Sooty from a little kitten, keeping him indoors and trying to keep him safe and happy in a rented house on Arundel Street in Fremantle, just down from the hospital. The first night he convinced me to let him outside, I wrote, Last night the sky to my right above the building was purple, then after after it was not. The rain comes heavier and heavier now. The cat chases a paper ball frantically like a mouse. The gutters overflow into little floods in the garden. The rain, stops the, the rain stops, the gutters keep dripping. Now I look at the sky through raindrops. Everything is wet and shiny now. The kitten still plays, as Bob sings to me and the cat meows and tries to climb the screen door. My little kitten, whom I have never let out the front before, because I was afraid he would vanish or be killed, wanted to explore the wet world outside, so I have let him go. Now he runs about with his elder brother in wet grasses and in puddles and to the left and right of the front porch where I sit. If he is killed or runs away forever, that will just be. I'd rather that than me hitting his paws as he tries to climb the screen door "'searching for freedom. "'Right or wrong or irresponsible or whatever, "'a cat kept indoors gets mighty angry. "'Who would not want to explore drips and puddles "'and sparkling leaves with your big brother? "'Robert tells me not to worry about a thing. "'The cats chase each other around the pineapple tree. "'I moved to a cheap place on Indle Street in Willoughby, "'met Jess and was out of the house a lot, and there were some seriously mean tomcats across the road. One day Sooty didn't come home. Jess and I canvassed the neighbourhood asking for him. We found no trace and had to accept that he was gone. When Jess moved in, we got Porridge, a tabby, together from the Cat Haven to be our first cat. Belden had a bit of a traumatic early life, but we looked after him well and he was happy in our rented house in Shenton Park. He made friends with the fluffy girl cat across the road and for some time was very close to a young porridge kitten too. When he was killed by a car we buried him in the rain in the backyard under some trees and shortly afterwards got Mimsy, a sleek grey part Russian blue, who worshipped the old and wise porridge, her big sister, when she allowed it. We got our own place in Bayswater and on that Christmas visited Jess's sister for Christmas lunch They had just got two kittens that were having a great time playing together. Thoroughly infected with kitten jealousy, on Boxing Day we went straight (laughs) to the Cat Haven for a pair. (laughs) Getting two meant they could play with each other while we were at work. We saw a beautiful ginger boy in the middle of a cage, surrounded by adoring brothers and sisters. He looked straight up at us and we were immediately his, and his beautiful long-haired black and white sister too. Henry and Eliza. As we hoped, they had a fantastic time growing up together and an easier introduction to the household. Henry had a pink nose and a hugemongous fluffy tail and as boycats have a tendency to be, was extremely cuddly and needy and sooky. He used eye contact to draw us to him for cuddles and kisses on top of the head. And so we had a closer bond to him than we'd had with any before. Unfortunately, he decided to go out onto the big road and was killed outright, still so young. We buried him in our own back garden, under our own trees. Well, we had no choice, really. The only cure was to get more kittens. And it had to be two, and it had to be boys, because they had some very big, fluffy, cuddly shoes to fill. We found two more long-haired louts, this time a pink-nosed, huge-pawed, black-and-white lad And his brother, long haired and all black, like a shaggy panther. They became Pretty Boy Floyd and Bugsy Malone. Pretty because of the pink nose, and gangsters because I suppose we knew what trouble we were getting ourselves into. So now the wise and stately and sensible Porridge, Mimsy, and Eliza had to adjust to two new, rough, foolish boys in the house, and we had five cats. Floyd knocked a heavy mirror over, over on the top of Bugsy, dislocating his pelvis, which meant surgery and long weeks in a cage at home. Floyd then achieved the impossible by injuring himself falling out of a tree and took his own turn in the cage. Floyd was a gloriously happy and cuddly cat and would gaze up into your eyes when you came into the room and start purring loudly, knowing that a scritch on the head was imminent. He then decided one night to go out onto the big road too, and was hit and injured by a car. His right back leg was badly hurt and he was put into an oxygen tent at the emergency pet hospital. Within 24 hours, had his leg amputated. When he came home, the top of his head was shaved where he had a scrape cleaned. And while he recuperated, we learned that he liked to be kissed on the top of the head, just on that ball patch. He pretty quickly learned to walk with a bit of a hobble step. And then one day he took off running and went straight up a tree. Walking, he was awkward, but running, you could not even tell he had a leg missing. Then a stray started visiting the garden. At first, we tried to shoo him off to protect our cats, but he was persistent and obviously in fairly bad shape, smelly, dishevelled, and he couldn't move his tail. We couldn't tell if he was a boy or a girl, so we started calling him Robin, which also worked because he was robbing our food. We relented and put food out just for him and gradually he came closer to the house and soon was sleeping on a a chair in the kitchen and we had six cats. Then Floyd, healed and strong and confident, running around climbing trees, decided to go out onto the big road again and this time he didn't make it back at all. We buried him on his favourite cushion covered in a much-loved red towel under the trees in our backyard, a metre or so from Henry. So we have five cats for a second time. Living with cats has had many effects upon me. For one thing, if I'm cross about something and stomping about on the floorboards, it really spooks them. Gee, stupid cats, I think. It's not like I'm going to do anything to you. I'm just in a hurry, as as they scattered out of the house or under beds. After quite a while of this, I became aware that when I didn't stomp my feet on the floorboards, they wouldn't go racing out of the cat flap in a panic. But when I did stomp, they did panic. Maybe it was Jess patiently telling me, Nick, the cats don't like it when you stomp about, about a hundred times, that finally clued me in. In other words, I was doing it. I was responsible. Of course, I didn't want to accept that. Surely I've got a right to be grumpy and angry in my own house once in a while. But once I did finally start to notice it, it got harder and harder to continue. Stomp, stomp. Oh, there's Mimsy, cowering again like she's afraid I'm about to attack her. No, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Look, I'll step more gently, more slowly. There's time. I'll try not to do it again. After a shower, sometimes Bugsy appears and he wants me to pat him with wet hands. He gets wetter and wetter. His fur comes off in bunches and I collect it, wet my hands again and turn around to pat him some more. In the hot weather, this goes on and on until he is a happy, bedraggled, wet cat. (laughs) Or sometimes Mimsy will meow, sounding angry and irritated and irritating, but she just wants attention and if you pick her up, she'll start purring right away. Or sometimes Eliza wants a brush. But she won't sit still and you need to chase her around the garden with the brush. But that's what she wants. Or sometimes Robin just wants you to sit down on the couch so he can sit on your lap and have a snooze. Or sometimes Porridge wants you to be outside in the garden in a chair so she can sleep on you. And her claws piercing your skin are her involuntary reaction to just being so happy and contented. Watching the cats I noticed they are a lot like me. We share many of the same moods and feelings, so I I have learned about myself by watching them. Sometimes they like to be with each other, sometimes friendly, sometimes wary, sometimes playful, sometimes timid, sometimes confident, sometimes appreciating each other's company and proximity, sometimes rushing off to be alone. Zen practice has helped me to be aware enough to notice these things happening in front of me and has helped me to learn to appreciate them. Part of our shared Zen practice here at Zigwa is the monthly discussion or Dharma sharing nights. Last month, one of our Sangha, Andrea, spoke up about simply wanting to speak up and say anything in order to contribute. That really summed up how I have felt many times. Actually, I often find dharma-sharing nights really difficult. By the time I've processed the last comment and have a thought to speak, the conversation has already moved on. Or I will come with a thought prepared, but the conversation will simply begin in a completely different place. Preparing this talk has given me time to process some of my own thoughts and perhaps a chance to speak some of those thoughts I couldn't say before. One time I did speak up was to read a part of Each Moment is the Universe, Zen and the Way of Being Time, an edited collection of talks by Danin Katagiri. I read a section from one chapter and actually I stopped right in the middle of a paragraph. <clears throat> I stopped because it was too harsh for me to face and I could barely read it to myself, let alone to others. Actually, it is from a chapter entitled Taking Care of Expectation. I'd like to read it to the end tonight and I'll point out the point where I stopped last time. When you practice Zazen, no matter how you feel, just concentrate on breathing without thinking, my concentration is good or my concentration is poor. Whatever you feel, don't worry about it. Please just sit. Take care of your breathing with wholeheartedness. That's enough. Just to follow this practice is to live a significant life. Maybe you don't think so, but it's true. After you understand this point, if you are willing to practice Zazen, that's good. I recommend that you practice. At that time, you can settle yourself with dignity like a big mountain and start to walk Step by step. That's where I finished, stopped last time. But if you don't understand the fundamental nature of impermanence and think there is something you can get from the practice of Zazen, you will find despair. Zazen doesn't give you something. It's the complete opposite. In Zazen you will find many things about yourself that you have never noticed before, things that you did not want to see, so you hid them under many layers of decoration. When you start to practice Zazen, something leads you to gradually take off, take those layers off. What leads you to take off your layers day in and day out? Impermanence takes them off. Whether you like it or dislike it, the more you practice, the more layers of decoration you remove, without any reservation. Sometimes you feel sad or pensive when you remove decorations and see Zazen in its naked nature because you realise the gap between your mind, which wants or expects something, and Zazen itself. But that's alright. Just try to take one step forward without blinking, without falling to the ground. If you plunge into Zazen and experience something unexpected, don't attach yourself to what you feel from that experience. All you have to do is take care of your posture and breathing with a kind, considerate and thoughtful spirit. If you practice hard and one by one remove the layers that cover you, finally there is nothing left to take off and nothing that separates you from other beings. Without your layers of decoration, you are a person which is completely transparent, like Casper the ghost on television. Actually, you are more invisible than Casper, because you have no form. You cannot say who you are because there is nothing there. No concept of you, no concept of Zazen. When there is no concept of you or Zazen, there is just transiency, just time. So you are not you, you are time. That's all. You may be surprised or upset, but if you just watch yourself with a calm mind, you can see the truth that everything changes moment after moment. At that time, you can realize yourself as a human being who exists in the domain of impermanence, attain enlightenment, and save yourself from suffering. So perhaps this talk ended up being more about expectations about them not being met about them being exceeded about how a talk might not go how we expect about how we do not necessarily get what we want or think we want but maybe that it turns out to be alright because it is our life. I'd like to end with the end of Shotao Shi Chan Song of the Grass Roof Hut Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast, inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instruction, bind grasses to build a hut, and don't give up. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk, innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations, are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the heart, don't separate from this skin bag, here and now. Thank you for listening.